There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. McLaren Goldeye surely thinks that swearing is undignified. Fortunately for us, we don't even pretend to be dignified. This has been your Obscenity Warning. And let's raid the kitchens. Chapter eight starts with Briar and Triss looking for Dedicate Moonstream. Big important things if they're going to Dedicate Moonstream. And she is on the south wall where all of the Fire Temple people are because they're the ones who are kind of in charge of protection and all that, keeping everyone safe. And they have a special glass token that will let them go up on the wall. And they get to meet Dedicate Skyfire, who is, I believe, head of the fire temple. He's also head of all the warrior, we're going to defend the fortress people. Briar recognizes his name because he used to be a great general. And then was it his wife that got killed? She got killed. He gave up everything and decided to go live there. Dedicated himself to the fire god. They have an important message from Lark and Rose Thorn, and they give that to Moonstream. She's clearly concerned, but that's about all we have at the moment. In the meantime, Triss talks to Nico about the smell that Brittany mentioned. They're talking about the the weapons that the pirates have and how they might break through the walls into winding circle. And Skyfire is trying to get his mages in order to protect from possible projectiles. And then something flies at them. Two things. And Triss summons a whirlwind and gets them to go somewhere other than the wall. She kind of just blows them away, which is something that none of the other mages on the wall were able to do, apparently. And then Skyfire is like, uh, that was amazing. Are you able to just do that when you want to? Or do I have to scare you to be able to do that? Because if you need to be scared, I can scare you. Anyway. And and Moonstream says, I must rethink my opinion of weather witches. It seems they do more than just bring rain. So everybody's very impressed, but Triss is rather exhausted. So Briar's like, come, my friend, let me get you off the wall and into the kitchen where you will feel better. They go in there and somebody tries to kick Briar out because he's like, there's a thief in here. 
get out of here. And Briar bends his pinky backwards. And then Gorse comes along and he's like, you there, let my guests go. And then he turns to Briar and he's like, by the way, please don't injure the house. If you have to break a limb, break a toe. Um, <laughs> they, need, they need their hands. We also see Amory again. And he, oh, yeah. and after they get the food that they need for Daja and Frost Pine, he walks back with them and is hoping to talk to Lark and Rosethorn and be like, hey, can I stay with y'all? Because a lot of people have moved into where I'm at and I'm not going to get anything done with living with a bunch of people. Horse doesn't recognize him. Very, very peculiar. And Briar thinks as much. But he didn't say anything. I just want to make sure this gets brought up somewhere. There's also some talk between Amory and Triss about the cousin that she used to live with. Cousin Uriel. Because there's something about how she mistreated Triss and Amory's like, but she had all this money. Didn't she at least like give you something when she died? And Triss is like, nope. She gave it all to the house and there's a boat. Step one of our reading process is reading like a novice where we talk about what we liked and didn't like about this book. Indy, do you want to start? Yes. I'm going to switch things up. I'm going to tell you what I fucking hate about this chapter. (laughs) Let's go. I do not like Skyfire. Do not. Cannot stand him. He frustrates me to no end. We mentioned it kind of in passing, what he says to Triss, but that has always stood out to me. Girl, can you do that cold? Skyfire wanted to know, making his voice as gentle as he could. Or do you have to be scared? If it comes to that, he grinned, showing far too many teeth for Triss's comfort. I'm sure I can think of ways to scare you when I launch those things. Bitch! She is ten fucking years old. You don't say that to fucking adult without being prepared to be decked. You definitely don't say that to a kid, especially in a situation where they're fucking terrified. So no, I do not like him. I think he's an asshole. This is the hill I will die on. (laughs) But some of the things I like about the chapter... Definitely the scene where Briar tries to break this kid's hand. (laughs) But right before that, I love the kind of interaction as they're leaving. Is it always like this? Triss yelled. Briar jumped out of the way of a novice, staggering under a full tray of bread loaves. As he passed, the novice suggested that Briar's mother had done something very unlikely with a snail. And you're damn with a warped rat shouted Briar cheerfully. To Triss, he said, no, never. (laughs) I love that Briar is having a good time with being insulted. (laughs) I think it brings back to his time as being a thief. Yeah, I do also like the way that Gorse handles that situation because kids trying to kick Briar out and Gorsh responds with, if you must grab things, you may grab 30 chickens and kill them for me. <laughs> I also like where Gorse hands Briar the buns and he gives him this look and it says, one of those is, <laughs> one of those is Richardson. <laughs> he knows Briar is going to try and fucking eat that thing. He gave him a meaningful look, I think is how it was described. I was going to say, this is my favorite part, too. Just the entire interaction between Gorse and Briar, because Briar is clearly familiar with the kitchens. Intimately so. He just talks shit to the other initiates and whoever else is in there helping out. And he's just like, ah, yeah, your mom. (laughs) Gorse knows him, first name basis. And he's like, here's some food. Definitely don't eat it all. Give some to Triss, and I'll take care of the stuff that you need. And then it, he was, it was great. Cookies too. He's like, yeah. I packed you some cookies. Can I also add? He knows Triss's name. Yeah. 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 Like that's cool. He does. He literally knows everyone, and I think it's also because 
of how often Briar is in there. Yeah. That mm. Briar's obviously mentioned the girls at least once. Because Gorse even asked Tris about the bird. He's like, how's your bird doing? They did come by to get food for the bird. So I know, he- but he mentions that uh, Briar told him about it. There's one last thing that I like, and it's just a comment. It's just Briar, little bear, stop it, or I'll tell Rose Thorn on you. Yes. <laughs> the dog goes quiet. He's like, oh no. No, not that mean lady. <laughs> the dog knows. Don't piss off Rose Thorn. <laughs> on that note, I want to add my favorite parts. I love flap rags. Ryers thieves can't is amazing and flap rags is a fabulous word and I need to introduce it into my ordinary vocabulary. But speaking of Rose Thorn and Dedicate Gorse, both of whom we adore dearly, um, I really like that he looks at the list and he's like, oh wow, this is really rich food. And as the person who's in charge of the kitchens, I'm sure he also, he knows how expensive this is. So there's probably a lot of stuff going through his mind at this moment. And Tris or Briar is like, well, Rosethorn said we needed this because Zaja and Frostpine are weak and yada, yada, yada. And, and Gorse is just like, well, we don't want to piss off Rosethorn, do we now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even he knows. Like, if I don't give this to her, then she's going to be up here. And no, just give her what she wants. That's, that's a headache, and I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. There's probably also, I think, an element of, well, she's clearly taking care of people who are not well, and she knows what she's talking about. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I have a huge list, like I always do. <laughs> Uh, my first one is uh, when Tris goes and talks to Nico. She's not paying attention. And then Briar's like, she does all right for a skirt with a hooked smile. But then they had reached Moonstream. I noticed you said that while Tris is talking to Nico and can't hear you, she remarked. He knows that Tris has a temper like Rose Thorn. And if she were to hear him say that she let him have it so I thought that was pretty funny my prediction in the last chapter was confirmed when Tris was telling Nico I don't make mistakes about smells it's the same as the one on Bit Island prediction confirmed thing here how does she know she's never mistaken about smells what what has happened she asks a lot of questions man she smells something she's like I think it's this. And then she asked someone, is it this? And they're like, yes, it is. And she's like, I knew I was right. And then Indy already mentioned the one about Little Bear being (laughs) (laughs) being like, be quiet. And then there's another thing with Little Bear also where the guard is like, had to do something to get those dogs thinking they could try us again. No offense to four-legged dogs. <laughs> that was funny. I am constantly apologizing to my cat because I like step on him or something. Sorry, cat. I kicked Sebastian off the bed, so I like chased him down because he was like, oh fuck. I chased him down. I picked him up and I started loving on him. I didn't mean to kick you, buddy. You can be up here. And then he was like, oh God, human, you're too clicky. <laughs> and then the whole interaction with Briar and Gorse. Oh my God. So good. <laughs> there were specific parts in it that I liked more than others, but the whole thing is amazing. When he tells the uh, dedicate, was he a dedicate? He's like, Briar Moss never stole from me. This time there was a dangerous note in Gorse's voice and a hard glint in his black eyes. He's really nice, but you fuck with his visitors, he's going to get you, especially when it comes to Briar. Does he also refer to Briar and Tris as his guests or something like that? Yes. Uh, Yes. That's the bit that always stood out to me because Briar, I mean, Tris too, but I think especially Briar in this situation, 
is not welcome in a lot of places within the temple. People don't trust him. And then Gorse is like, he is my guest. Yeah. I want to make a small comment on that because usually when you hear that term, you know, this is my guest, it is in someone's house. (laughs) And so it just further cements to me that is pretty much Gorse's entire life is that kitchen. And it's already been commented that he knows everyone who comes in and out. Mm-hmm. And calling them his guest is like, yeah, they're welcome in my house. You are not. Yeah. <laughs> Go kill the kids. <laughs> and with that scene, he continues to also tell him to go kill the chickens or whatever. And he says, and think as you kill them about the fate of those who accuse without proof. So, what? We know don't piss off Rose Thorn. But I think we should also add, don't piss off Thorn. Do not piss off. Do not fuck with the people who make your food. Mm -hmm. I feel like a good statement just in general. Don't fuck with the people who make your food. And then we've also mentioned about the breaking his the toes instead of the fingers. That one's <laughs> pretty great. Also, where Trist says, you never said he was nice. And Briar's like, you should have figured it out on your own. And it seems to me that every chapter, Trist is coming to the realization of, shit, I keep thinking all these things about these people, first Rose Thorn, now Gorse, and starting to realize, you know what, I should probably check myself and be like, these people aren't exactly what I thought they were, and they're actually pretty good people, so I maybe I should uh, get to know these people first before I make judgments about them. In Triss's defense, she has no reason to expect anyone to be nice to her. That's fair. Uh, I feel like she is very j- jaded. Like you said, all of her family didn't want anything to do with her. Yeah, which I can definitely see why this is Triss's book, because you can tell that she's doing a lot of growing in this book. And one of those things of growing is coming to the realization that not all people are bad, which is awesome. I also want to throw out, it is kind of a culture shock for her, too. She's always been around merchants and of that kind and so they don't really deal with a hands-on situation like she's being forced to deal with now it is also that culture shock of having to learn how things work and how none of it is anything like what she's had to deal with before it's kind of that expecting people to be mean or at least mean to her is something that she can be like okay well all of this is going on I'm gonna have to deal with this and so she's keeping that in the back of her mind because it's it's what she knows therefore if they are mean to her she doesn't have her feelings hurt she just knows that's how it is yeah I think there's definitely an element of she doesn't want to open up because if she does, then she risks being hurt again. And then my last one, I promise this is the last one, is the part where Briar tells Amory, I can't believe Gorse let you escape without giving something to eat. And Amory's like, Gorse? And Briar's like, the dedicate in charge, everyone who goes in there meets Gorse. And Amory's like, maybe on other days, right now I think he's busy, what are you two doing here? And then Briar thinks to himself, he was never in those kitchens for longer than a minute or two before Gore showed up and gave him something no matter how busy it was within those kitchens. So you can tell that Briar is thinking to himself, something's up with this guy because yeah. Gorse always knows who's in that kitchen. So Amory is definitely up to something. On that note, I was going to say, I also like that like Trith doesn't question it. No. <laughs> But she's not there often enough to know anything about Gorse. Because she, like she had said already, I didn't know he was nice. So why would she interact with him when she thought he was going to be mean? 
it's a nice change of perspective because you have someone who's like, oh, well, this has to be a normal thing. And then someone who's like, mm, but it's not. It, it's possible, but it is very, very, very unlikely. I really, really wish that Briar would speak up because this is the second thing that he has let pass without him saying anything. And the first one was when he saw the shimmery thing or what person and he didn't hasn't told anybody about it yet. And then now the second one, he's suspecting Amory a little bit about something and he's still not saying anything. So I wish he would speak up, which I know that's in his character to not do that. But like I want to say no snitch. Something. Tell people what you see, man. Snitches get stitches, man. Or one stitches. <laughs> I did feel there was an interesting contrast there between what um, like Gorse had said just a little bit earlier to the guy that was accusing Briar, <coughs> saying, kill them chickens and think about what happens to those that accuse others without any proof. So I don't know if maybe that might be affecting Briar's thought process on Amory. It's being like, so this dude's kind of fishy. Someone's definitely sneaking around. I don't know if it was this guy. And since he doesn't have any proof, I think that might be why he hasn't really said anything. He wants to have a very open, shut case before he says anything. Yeah, I think he wants to be sure. Plus the whole don't be a snitch thing. From well, and it's awesome being 10 adds into that because I know in our world, 10-year-olds often don't get listened to. So if their world is anything like ours there's a decent reason for him to expect well I might say this but the adults will brush me off the same way that Tris did probably also the no tattling rule don't tattle oh don't that's that's where I go off on a tangent that's why don't get me started if he told Tris at this point she would probably be like no he was always nice to me he's he wouldn't be up to no good because that's the one person that she feels like she could trust within her family and she wouldn't suspect him of anything I would feel there is also that moment of where he tries to logic away the not seeing in the kitchens because he says it's possible just very unlikely so he's like it could happen i think that doesn't ever happen but i guess there is a chance that it could so he logics it as what i think more of how an adult would respond to his concerns well and maybe in some way he's thinking about tris in all of this they've become very close now and he knows that her feelings toward Amy are different than her feelings toward her other family. Maybe he wants to think that. Maybe, maybe he's purposely trying to tell himself, oh, no, it's probably not a big deal. Because if it is a problem, then this is going to really damage Tris. And I, I don't think he has any like negative feelings toward Amory either. I think they're more focused on the um, attack coming from the outside, the more present, clear danger than potentially, I think Amory's up to something. I think he probably had something to do with blowing up all oh, yeah, definitely. future future stuff. Like, you know, he's the one been skulking around invisibly, but Briar probably hasn't considered that. But now things are kind of starting to fall into place for him. I think he's going to realize that he's acting weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I think he'll eventually put all of it together. Especially since the first one, he was invisible, and you have to be rich to be able to be able to do that. And he comes from a wealthy family. Boom, it's Amory. I think he's going to get it. He's going he's gonna to realize it soon. is reading like a dedicate this is where we try to pull out a theme or a message from the chapter did anyone find a theme or a message chaos so much chaos there's chaos chaos in the forges there's chaos people are training for a fight there's chaos in the kitchen there's just 
chaos everywhere. Yeah, it's hectic. Mine kind of connects to what Indy was talking about earlier. My theme is prejudice. I feel like more than that, it's kind of, I feel like this chapter really touches on how our prejudices grow out of our experiences. We have the scene in the kitchen and the person calling Briar a thief. And I can see how that person would be concerned that somebody's going to come and steal food because they have to feed all these people who are coming in. But Gorse sets him straight to some degree. I mean, obviously, we don't know if that person's like, oh, you know what? I have to think about this differently now. But Gorse has a different view of Briar because of his interactions with Briar specifically. I'm sure that part of that is also that Gorse was more willing to give Briar that chance in the first place. But it is possible that there is some other experience that Gorse has had that has allowed him to do this, especially because being in charge of a kitchen for this giant temple community probably means that he's met a lot of different people in his life. So through that experience alone, he may have been like, you know what, it's worth giving this person a shot. Or he might just be like, this person's obviously hungry. I'm going to make friends with them because <laughs> Gorse likes to feed people. So uh, someone that appreciates his cooking, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then we also see um, Dedicate Moonstream when Triss does the the windstorm to get the the thingies that they throw at them. I forget what they call them. They're, they're basically cannonballs, but they're like explosive cannonballs. But a thunder uh, weapon. Well, when she calls up the windstorm to get those away, Moonstream is like, "Oh, wow! Before this, I just thought that weather witches helped bring people rain." And Triss is clearly very powerful and can do a lot more than that. We like Moonstream. We talked in the last season about how wonderful Moonstream is and how it's a benefit that she is running this place because with Daja, for instance, she's very concerned about the fact that Daja is being treated fairly, but she's never considered this before. So probably she's never had that experience. And so she's never thought to go, oh, maybe this is a possibility too. And because this is Triss's book, the, the person who really stands out in this is Triss. Because when Briar suggests to her to wear britches, she's like, oh, like a common street thief or a traitor, which are two of her best friends now. So even though she has become friends with them, it's clear that all of this classism that she has grown up with is still very much a part of her. She is still growing out of that. And then that classism goes along with her like, no, I'm going to wear a skirt because that's what proper ladies do. Sandry would probably be like, hey, that's a great idea. I should get me some britches. Yeah. I think she also has very like solidified, for the lack of a better word, ideas about gender roles. I think it's really interesting that she's like, oh, I'm better than that. But the people who she's saying she's better than are the people who she has become friends with and the people who she's living with. I think the other end of that, the other side of that is that she's still growing because I think as readers, we can kind of understand like Triss's prejudices have come from her upbringing. Even though she was treated like crap by her family, she still got fed all of this stuff about hierarchy and gender roles and classism from her family and the people who she was around. Now she's going, oh wait, this isn't right. But that's not like a, a one-day thing. It's not, you get trapped underground with a couple people and survive. And then you're like, all of my prejudice is gone now. <laughs> so she has grown 
in the time that we've known her, but she's still not perfect, which is good writing because it's reflective of actual people and a good reminder for us that this is a process. I don't know if I'm even making sense or how to stop talking now. That was really, really good Uh, because I had a very tough time trying to figure out one and that I think was really, really awesome because I, like I said, I had a super tough time trying to think of one single theme, but I think you really hit that one on the head. I definitely had a trouble finding a theme as well. So it's like, mm, chaos. Mm, that was a good one. I like that one. Yeah. I'm going to piggyback off of this one because <laughs> I actually got kind of a different take out of it. Crises change perspectives. We've seen in earlier chapters, it's always, oh, well, those are the four mages. You know, they, they run together. Those are mages. And some earlier comments immediately following that were, you kids. Mm-hmm. So there's this, you know, well, I was a mage yesterday and I'm a kid today. Well, which is it? But in this chapter, there is a lot of those comments. There are several comments like that. You lot, scat, this is no place for you. And then there is no children allowed with stated. Things might get rough here. The guards shouldn't have let you up. And then you children off the wall now was another one. All in that one scene of the chaos that was going on. And yeah, it was understandable but at the same time these are also the kids that they're like oh these children have a lot of power and a lot of magic but as soon as a crisis happens they're back to being children and must be protected and coddled in a way the other one that I got that was the same it's positive not a negative is when moonstream says i must rethink my opinion of weather witches in crisis that helped her change her perspective of a group as a whole mine is definitely the changing perspective as soon as a crisis happens is things you may know with everything being fine clear skies all that goes out the window once the crisis happens you're immediately like okay well you don't fit in the box that needs to be dealt with right now so you go in another box and you get to be this box now i was trying to think of the quote that was like you don't really know someone until they're in trouble like how they react under pressure i feel that kind of goes hand in hand with yours they're sure glad that they let Triss up on that wall though yeah now I think we often take kids for granted and I get they don't want them to get hurt because they are kids and as adults we generally have an instinct to protect children because they are less knowledgeable about the world around them and they are smaller so like to some degree they may not be able to defend themselves as well. But I think sometimes we let that invade our thoughts too much. I think, especially in this chapter, that's definitely something I saw is, yes, they're children. Yes, they need to be protected. Like, but they're also very powerful in their own right. Tris proves it, that they're not necessarily defenseless. It's kind of one of those things of, As far as children, we tend to protect them because they need that. They need to feel safe and be safe. They also have an ability to take care of themselves in some situations, obviously not all, but in some situations, they have the tools to go through a crisis by themselves. I don't think we trust children enough sometimes. Like there are some things they kind of have to learn on their own. You know, you can't protect them from every single thing. You do the best that you can, but I guess the example I'm thinking of is like a jungle gym. 
you kind of have to let them learn where their own limits are. You can't constantly have them wrapped up in bubble wrap or something to keep them from getting hurt. They have to go out there and occasionally they'll, they might get banged up or something, but that's how they learn about themselves too. There's a great interview that I heard with this guy. I want to say his name is Daniel something, but I can't remember. But he's become famous. He's a blind man who uses echolocation. And so he's yes. famous for this. And one of the things that he's really well known for is that he rides a bike and he echolocates when he's on his bike. And he actually also teaches other blind people to echolocate. And I heard this interview with him and they were talking to him about how he came to be the person he is sort of. And he said that he felt a lot of it had to do with the way that his parents raised him. He said some parents, if their kid is blind, they do extra things to protect them. But his parents were like, oh, you want to ride a bike? Okay. And so they let him do all of those other things with other kids. And he just kind of had to figure it out. And he did. Watching the videos of him do that are just fucking so cool, too. He's just such a neat person. And to figure out how to do that is just neat. That is really cool. I can't even picture that, how that would be, or like you would go about learning something like that, but that's super cool. Part of the interview, he's actually teaching a blind boy to echolocate and to like navigate the area around his house. And there's different roads around the house. And one of the roads is a big highway. So he's trying to get the kid to recognize the sound of the highway and to know where that highway is so that he won't accidentally walk into it. And so he's getting the kid to click and the kid I think it also has a cane, but it's there's this group of people who are like slowly walking towards this highway and the two people in front are both blind. And he's basically trying to get the kid right up to the edge of the highway. So he knows this is where this is. This is what this feels like. This is what this sounds like. And he has told the parents, I need you to stay back, even though this is scary. But the mom swoops in at the last minute and like grabs the kid because she gets scared. And I don't know, I think about that interview a lot Mm -hmm. because like I can see both sides of it, I guess. I'm like, I understand logically why he's doing what he's doing and the purpose of this but I also understand just being like no no neat superhuman powers man I don't really anyone has ever thought to do that before like Uh, I think daredevil hello okay (laughs) okay actually I saw like a tumblr post where somebody described Toph from avatar as they're like, I feel like her abilities are similar to echolocation because she's essentially feeling like vibrations. Yeah. Yeah. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Part three is reading like a mage. This is where we use the text to try to craft magic in our own lives. What magic have you guys found? I've got mine right in front of me, so I guess I'll go. It's actually something that Nico said. A good imagination is a bad thing. That was mine, too. You, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> In situations, we always tend to go, okay, all of the bad stuff that's going to happen. And then for a lot of people, as they think about all of these bad things that are going to happen, if they do this, or if this comes to pass, is basically like, oh, we shouldn't do it because all of these bad things are going to happen. And you can picture things. Okay, so skydiving. You go skydiving because that is a terrifying yet thrilling thing to do. Okay, parachute doesn't open. Secondary parachute doesn't open. Well, it's likely that you're going to die at that point. Parachute opens and you hit something. Well, you're going to be maimed or dead. Eh, well, let's not do skydiving. Not that I've done it personally, but I have done bungee jumping, which is hella fun. It's nice. terrifying because of everything that can go wrong. But you do it anyway, and it's something so fun and so life-changing. So sometimes... A good imagination is a bad thing because you get so worked up in what could happen in all of these other scenarios and you think about it and that keeps you from doing something. It doesn't have to be something that big and extravagant. It's, oh, well, I could ask this person out. They could throw their cup of coffee at me. Well, they could call me names and point all of this stuff out. Well, they could never speak to me again. I'm not going to ask that person. The thing that I kind of need to remember about this is sometimes, sometimes everything that could go wrong will go wrong. That is a proven fact. But what if it doesn't? And the reward is phenomenal. So trying not to let these thoughts and these fears that our imagination has brought up and thrown at us, trying to go, okay, well, that could happen, but let's look at the rewards or look at the positives that could come from this. I have feelings about this. Let's hear them. This just makes me think of when people say, Chris says this, and it like drives me crazy. <laughs> Uh, when people say, well, what's the worst that could happen? Don't ask me that. Because I can come up with a way that like chains into the apocalypse. I literally have a poem about this. This is what it feels like to be me. If you see me in the grocery store and I can't decide which pack of pens to buy, I am literally imagining how buying the wrong pens is going to chain into the apocalypse. That is the worst that can happen. I mean, I think you have a good point, And there are a lot of times where I'm like, okay, this is really scary, but I'm going to do it. And to me, that's what real courage is. It's not uh, not having fear, but it's doing something even though you're afraid. Um, yeah. But don't tell me like not to worry about it or that everything's going to be fine or what's the worst that could happen because I have answers to all of that and it's not going to make it better. 
same. I'm constantly taking notes about stuff. And so I could give you a list of things that could go wrong with this. Like, okay, you're asking me, here's my list. I'll give you my list of things. I have a long list. On the other hand, my good imagination has come in handy on occasions like that. Several years ago, there was this issue where Toyota, like, had a callback on a whole bunch of vehicles because there was something with floor mat getting stuck and the vehicles would accelerate and people couldn't stop them. I heard about this on the Revisionist History podcast where his whole thing is, let me try and prove all of this wrong. And I have a different theory about what happened, but it got me thinking, you know, what do I do if I can't get my car to stop? And like, just having this thought in my head, I was like, well, I guess if that happens, I pull the e-brake. And this actually happens to me. I was parked, I was parked in parking lot and it was on a slight hill. And I had turned on my car and I was looking for a CD or something and I couldn't find it and it was in the passenger seat. So I turned off the car, I went around, I grabbed it from the passenger seat. Then I got back in my car and I realized as I sat down that the car was slowly rolling backwards. Oh, no. Because I had put the car into reverse. And then when I turned off the car, it hadn't gone off all the way because the car was in reverse. So it was still reversing. But because I had turned it off and taken the key out, I couldn't get the brake to work. But I also couldn't put it in park because the brakes wouldn't work and the key wasn't in. So I pulled the e-brake and everything was fine. <laughs> it worked out that time. Yeah. It's something that you'd considered. And and I honestly think that in that case, it was actually because I had thought about it before and been like, what do I do? But if you say, what do I do? I don't know. So I'm never going to drive my car again. I I... You are saying pull the e-brake, but since I'm one of those that will continue to spiral out of control of what could possibly happen, uh, oh, I pull the e-brake, I'm going really fast, my car is going to spin out of control and I'm going to cause even more chaos than what would have happened to begin with. So I'm just going to go ahead and die. So there's no, no other possibility in this at all. Overthinking and constant worry about one certain thing can keep you from living your life. It's something that you have to kind of consider how it's affecting your day-to-day life. Because if you have one big issue that can't get out of your mind, that you're just constantly, I don't think this is going to help you get over it, but you have to kind of see how it affects uh, you and the people around you because it can definitely affect the way that you perceive your world. And it can, like I said, kind of keep you from living your life. Like just constant worry. You'd start doing those calculations of this is dangerous. This could go wrong. That could go wrong. But it can keep you from just plain old having a good time. Like you kind of said, bungee jumping. One of those things where, yeah, a lot could go wrong, but you kind of have to look past that and experience those kinds of things. I feel like it kind of makes you a more rounded person to going out there and getting out of your comfort zone and doing something a little more risky. My Pusa, a homebody, she was terrified to leave her house. Once she hit about 60, she never left the house because everything that could have gone wrong. She was such a character. She was so fun. I miss my Pusa every day. But all of the things that she missed out on. She missed out on several different weddings. She missed out on birthdays. There was so much that she missed out on because she could not stop picturing what would go wrong with that one step. Fear is a good thing. Fear keeps us from doing things that are dangerous. But sometimes we have to go, okay, is this actually a valid fear? That's keeping me from doing this. I also need to make a comment on your thing, Molly, when you were talking about courage. Soul Eater. It's, I don't know if you are familiar with that anime at all. Okay, so that is actually a big part in the latter half 
of that series is bravery, doing things even when you're scared. So like that, I there are a couple really annoying characters, I am aware, but like it's, it's it's one of those like the that whole story arc that's what it focuses on is being brave in spite of being afraid my magic is different from all that <laughs> you pulled an indie i did i found mine in the section with gorse so much chaos going on in his kitchen with all the refugees being there and yet he's still cool and collected and in charge of everything and just I feel like I need to be more like him I'm pretty cool and collected most of the time but whenever things get chaotic I get crazy I start to freak out go off on people that are around me instead of staying calm staying collected I, I need to not lash out at people just because things are chaotic I also want to be more like Gorse, just in general. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like that. I also really like the way when Briar is being yelled at by this person, he sends that person away and he's like, you go do this. This is your punishment for upsetting my guest. But he doesn't totally let Briar off the hook either because he's like, hey, don't break people's fingers. That's not nice. I get that he makes a joke out of it. And he's like, if you have to break something, break a toe. In a way, I think telling Briar, like, yeah, it, it's okay what you did. But I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I just feel like I need to defend Gorse. <laughs> but uh, I feel like uh, Indy has said something like this in a previous episode. Where, like, you stick up for your friend in front of somebody else, but then whenever that person's not around anymore, then you talk to them and be like, hey, you know what? I know I stuck up for you, but you weren't totally in the right, and this is what you need to do better. But you're not doing that in front of everybody. I just mean... Briar shouldn't be breaking anything. No, he should definitely not be breaking any fingers. But I think in the way that he's saying, well, if you have to break something, break a toe, he's saying, like, I understand that your actions were in response to this. And he's sort of, in some way, he's justifying that. And, like, you have a reason to react to people behaving inappropriately. But he's also saying you have to do it better. But also... This is almost a second theme, but like generosity. Gorse is so generous and he just gives to everyone. Um, And he's just kind and welcoming and like, who is this new face in my kitchen? Have you had some cookies? No? Well, here you go. I feel like on a small level, we also kind of see that generosity with the guard who first tells Briar and Triss to get away from the wall. And I think that she could probably be less gruff with them because she's like, hey, you, get away. And granted, in this case, she is doing her job because she doesn't know they have permission to go there yet. She could be like, hey, this wall is off limits. Um, But then she's like, I can hold your baskets. And she, like, pets Little Bear, and that's really sweet. I want to be more like Gorse. Gorse is curious. I to be like Gorse, I feel. Yes, I love Gorse. aspire to be Gorse. Gorse is truly the best character. He's best. So so far, he's he's pretty great. Also, the way he defends Briar, just, like, that, too. Because he's very loving and generous and wonderful, but at the same time, if you mess with his people, well, you just don't want to mess with his people. That is bad juju. Yeah. You make a fuss in the kitchen and you'll get a kicking. <laughs> Gorse's best girl. Waifu material. That's what he is. 
Force is truly best girl. And probably would be like top five waifus. Just yeah. Funny, caring, cooks, good under pressure. All, all good, solid staples for a waifu. Yeah. I want to train with Gorse. Like, I want to be a cooking mage just so that I can work with Gorse. I would get very fat working with Gorse. <laughs> I already am fat, so I might as well be working with Gorse. <laughs> okay, I will state this. The idea of a kitchen witch. Do you know how you don't get fat cooking that much? You eat as you're making it because you're constantly tasting it. You dole out your own little and you're like, hmm, yeah, needs a little bit more. If you like dole out a little bit more, you fill up while you're making the food. So, and you're so exhausted by the end of it that you don't need to eat anyway. Exactly. You're just like, okay, I I cook, I'm good. I had stuff while I was cooking. But if you're an apprentice of Gorse, he's going to be like, oh, you worked really hard. Now here's some food to take with you when you go home. <laughs> you probably yeah. You, you can't win. Yeah, so... I don't care. I will take all of the cookies, all of the... If he wants to give me food, I'll be like, oh, thanks. You're thanks, great. Gorse. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be also happy to just live on the same block as Gorse. Yeah. Be friends with him. <laughs> be like, hey, we're having a party at my house. Want to come over? It's fun. like... <laughs> oh, I'll provide all the food for you. <laughs> Good win. <laughs> what? What did I? What that mean? Oh, uh, yeah. That's true. We yeah. I, I was about to say I haven't said much, but I do kind of relate with course a, a lot. <laughs> yes, you a lot. We want to know what is your comfort food. Write into us at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com or contact us on the socials. We are on Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr. Yeah! Rosethorn and Briar returned. Briar carried a cloth bag, Rosethorn a bottle and a cup just big enough to hold an egg. To the eyes of all three children present, the bottle gleamed white with magic. Placing the cup next to Frostpine, Rosethorn poured it half full of green liquid. Drink, she ordered. You and Daja must be able to move just in case. Frostpine made a face. Lifting the cup, he dumped, the co- dumped its contents down his throat. Ugh, he yelled, his voice stronger than it had been since his return from the harbor. Are you trying to kill me, woman? If I mean to kill someone, I do it, Rose learned. I don't try. She poured a lesser amount of the green liquid into a cup. Give this to Daja and put the bottle back in my workshop. And after resting, or and keep resting while you can, to Lark and Briar, she said, let's go. Oh shit! She means business! <laughs> if I mean to kill someone, I do it. I don't know. Everyone's a badass here. Like, we just don't know it yet. I forgot that it was in this chapter, but that is one of my favorite exchanges between Frostpine and Rosethorn. Well, you know, we have said don't fuck with nature, and Rosethorn is kind of like nature's representative. That's very true. true. Very true. Nature's wrath in rose thorn form. Reading Circle Temple is produced by us, Molly, Brittany, Indy, and Goodwin. If you like listening, tell your friends about us. If you don't like listening, tell your enemies. Please tell us what you think of the Circle of Magic by emailing us at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com or join our Reading Circle Temple Facebook group. You can find more of Reading Circle Temple at readingcircletemple.com or find Reading Circle Temple on Tumblr. And thanks to Yellow is for Happy for our artwork. You can find more of their artwork on Tumblr at yellowisforhappydraws.com 
or on Instagram at Shannon Andros. Also, thanks to Britain's brother, Thomas Dick, for our theme music. You can find more of his music by following Thomas Dick on SoundCloud. Thanks to Tamara Pierce for writing The Circle of Magic, and thanks to you for listening. Let's all have coffee next week. gonna go off topic there's something that i fe- uh there's i didn't realize we were on topic but okay. i didn't either <laughs> even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.